This June 2022, the Supreme Court is going to be handing down a decision that could overturn the now almost 50-year-old Roe versus Wade decision. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Eric Coven, and this is the Creation Today Show. This is a discipleship program designed to strengthen your trust in God's Word. And if you're not a follower of Christ yet, we want you. We want to help you turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones on your journey to know God. Hey, shout out to all of you who are joining us on Facebook or YouTube. Mario, I see you guys on here. Thank you for uh, this being a blessing. Thanks for watching the show with your kids. Really appreciate that. We've got a great giveaway for everybody today, uh, and everybody gets it. Uh, Stay tuned. I'll tell you about that in just a few minutes. To my podcast listeners, listeners out there, I absolutely love watching the stats go up week after week knowing that you guys are learning these truths. So thank you so much for learning these truths with us. Uh, To all of our Creation Today partners, uh, Brian, Joe, Gary, all you guys, I see you guys on here. Thank you uh, for hanging out with me. You're going to want to get your questions ready. You don't get an opportunity like this every day. Uh, If you're joining me on social media, our partners get kind of behind-the-scenes access, and they get to ask our guests questions, and this is certainly one you're going to have some questions about. So go on over to creationtoday.org and become a partner if you want to go behind the scenes and ask questions. You're going to be amazed. Uh, In 1999, Dr. William Lyle, now known as the pro-life doc, took over a practice that was the largest provider of abortion services in Pensacola, Florida, which is where I'm at right here and where Dr. Lyle lives as well. On day one, any and all abortion services and abortion referrals were stopped immediately. The clinic's uh, former abortionist, he left the country And today, that same equipment that was used to perform abortions is now used to demonstrate the brutality of abortions that were performed in all three trimesters. So the tools of of modern uh, abortionists have become the tools for this pro-life doc. Doc, uh, literally this June... We yes. could be seeing an over. Tell, tell me what's going on in the in the pro life movement and in the whole forty nine year now battle trying to overturn Roe versus Wade. Well, of course, the Supreme Court, you know, listened to arguments regarding overturning Roe versus Wade. Was this bad law and was this bad counsel? Yes, it was. And I am very convinced that this summer we are going to see the Supreme Court come out and they are going to say this was bad law and Roe versus Wade will be overturned. I mean, with confidence, we can say that people always said, well, we're hoping to overturn Roe versus Wade with about as much confidence as somebody would say, well, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm going to write a novel and lose 100 pounds. (laughs) We're actually going to see that we're going to see it overturned. It's going to go back to the states, but that's not the end. Our attention is then going to go from one court at the U.S. Supreme Court to 50 different state courts. Mm. This is the time 
before the battle, when we need to be preparing and prepping, the church needs to be preparing and prepping. The pro-life community needs to be preparing and prepping. We need to know what is going on in our state, who is going to be involved, and how we can make a difference. And so this is a very important time in the future of our country. I really feel that the future of our nation is going to depend on how we deal with abortion. When you read through, you know, the Old Testament, you know, when you read in Judges 3, 4, 5, and 6, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Mm. And did the Lord just sort of say, you know what, y'all are on your own? No, he actually strengthened their enemies. He delivered the children of Israel into captivity. And when what did they do wrong? They did evil in the sight of the Lord. 63 million babies created in the image of God whose lives, I mean, there's no way that you can think that that does not qualify as doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So yes, this is a battle for God's preborn, but this is a battle that we are all fighting for our kids and our grandkids to try to keep the United States as that shining light on the hill, that nation that was founded on godly principles. So there is a lot at stake here. And just because Roe versus Wade gets overturned doesn't mean it's all over. Then we start the battle in 50 different states. Well, so it's it's almost like, hey, let's celebrate, but not too quick. Uh, that means the war just got uh, more uh, divided, and we got to have the same thing happening. All so literally, we're going to have these same battles now in all this. How many states already have some kind of um, uh, law that would prevent, yeah. like what Texas is doing right now? There are, there are probably 26 states which put severe limitations on. We know of 13 states that have what are called trigger laws, and that doesn't have anything to do with a gun. It just means that when Roe versus Wade is overruled, they immediately have rule, have laws that will kick in that would defend the pre-born in the womb. The pre-born, that this is not just a matter of you know women's rights. This is a matter of patients' rights. The science over 49 years has dramatically changed. When we can see not only the babies with ultrasound, but with MRI, we're putting camera, we're putting essentially a GoPro inside the mother's womb. And it's not just to see different images and to get cool pictures and videos. We're now using the tools of modern medicine to treat the preborn as patients. I mean, you know, Patients' rights, we understand. Um, in medical school, you learn two basic rules to start with. First is a Latin phrase that says, prima non seri, And that means, first of all, do no harm. The next thing you learn is that a patient is a person is entitled to respect and bodily integrity. So patient is a key word because a patient is a person. If we are now, even at my hospital, we have done blood transfusions directly to the baby in the womb as early as 18 weeks gestation. They're not even halfway through the pregnancy. Well, why would we give a baby a blood transfusion? Because the mom from the moment of conception is genetically unique and different from the baby. They can even have different blood types. We know that half the time they're different genders, but they can have different blood types. And moms can have antibodies which can cross the placenta to the baby and start to attack the baby's blood. If we don't do something, that baby will die we can give the baby a blood transfusion. And it's not special baby blood. If you gave some blood to uh, one blood or you gave blood to the American Red Cross, they had the bus come to your office or your church, your O negative blood can be used directly transfused to a baby. 
but this is fulfilling the greatest commandment. Remember when the Pharisees asked Jesus, you know, first they're trying to trick him up, like they're going to trick up Jesus. And they say, Master, you know, what was the greatest commandment? Trying to get him, you know, caught. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. If your neighbor needed a blood transfusion or they would die, is it neighborly to give them a unit of your blood? Sure. Well, we are now giving units of blood to babies in the womb. So if you can give a baby a blood transfusion, then they are a patient and they are your neighbor and you are fulfilling the first and greatest commandment. But we're doing open heart surgery, spina bifida surgery. Um, we're doing laser vascular surgery. We're saving lives of babies in the womb. If they are a patient, they are a person. And if they are a person, they have legal protection under the 14th Amendment. Two questions I encourage people to ask, and I'll do this when I speak with medical students. Just say, are you an advocate for patients' rights? Well, of course, somebody who's running for office is going to say, yeah, of course, I'm an advocate for patients' rights. Second question, are you an advocate for patients' rights who were not born in the United States? Now, they might make the assumption you're talking about somebody who is here illegally from another country. But when they say, well, yes, I am an advocate for patients who were not born in the United States, then my follow-up is, then help me defend my patients that were not born in the United States that need surgery, need you know life-saving medical treatments who were not born in the United States because they have not been born yet. And we treat the wow. pre-born as patients. So if they are a patient, they are a person, and if they are a person, then they have constitutional rights. But our rights don't just come from the Constitution. Our rights come from God. It is the duty of good government to defend those rights which are given to us by God. What a different perspective. I mean, I've heard a lot of pro-life arguments and I've heard a lot of things against uh, abortion arguments, you know, my body, my choice. And like you said, well, hang on, it ain't your body. This is a different Correct. gender, different blood type. It's, it's not your choice. But to go from that simple logical, it's almost like we know the foundation, like you just said, is the Bible. But even without this, anybody could see the reality of what you're saying. A patient deserves no harm. A patient deserves rights. Well, a patient is a person. I love that. Is it, Can you not give aid to somebody not born in the United States? What a great, are, are, should, are you required to do that? And you go, my, my patients haven't been born yet. Okay, uh, let me back up and go, what did they get wrong in the Roe v. Wade? Tell me that. Well, they got it wrong because they were finding this issue of privacy, this right to privacy, where if this is a private matter, if somebody's beating their wife or assaulting their wife, but it's private, it's still wrong. So when they put this as far as privacy, it was wrong. There is no right to privacy in situations like this. Even when you look at the justices now, Judge Sotomayor, when she was talking to the the lawyer who was trying to uh, overturn Roe versus Wade, she said in a condescending manner, she said, other than religion, is there any reason to support the anti-abortion movement? What he should have said, and I wish he had said was, yes, 
patient's rights. Whether they are a patient in the womb or a patient on the outside, they still have rights because the science and the technology is on our side. Truth is on our side. Whenever we use science and technology, it is always true. When it seems like science in the Bible might not agree, give science time to catch up to the scriptures because scriptures are always going to be right. Whether it is the worldwide flood or whether it is life in the womb and the relationship that God has with the preborn. So just the way that Sotomayor was trying to make a comment really makes us think that this is going to be overturned at that national level. And it goes to the, the courts after that, because we have so much evidence. It's not a blob of tissue. We can see the baby's heart beating its own blood 18 days after conception. We can now do genetic testing on the baby. And I can tell you if this is going to be a boy or a girl seven weeks after conception by just doing a simple blood test on the mother's blood. Wow. We can find fragments of the baby's DNA with the technology called cell-free DNA find these little fragments of the baby's blood, and we can do all sorts of studies on the baby. This is a unique patient and a unique person, and we need to defend them. We've watched, as I think about this entire pro-life issue, we've watched Satan consistently try to pervert what God does. For those of you that uh, you, you join the show regularly, you know we talk all the time about worldview and why it matters, why this is so important. And having a biblical worldview is truth. Satan cannot create. All he can do is corrupt what God originally created. God created family. God created marriage. God created sex. God created... All Satan can do is pervert these things. And we're watching the sexual perversion take place, which is leading to the very idea of, hey, you do what you want, and then if it, if it has a consequence, we get rid of that consequence. Uh, you, you've, Dr. Lyle, said in the past, what we are facing is pure evil. Can you tell me how you've come to that conclusion, both from the Bible and from the things that you know about abortion? Sure. Well, when we go to defend the pre-born, what are we really defending? I mean, let's break down what abortion really is. And an example I'll use is you can see this. That's the American flag. Yeah. Why does somebody burn the American flag? The American flag stands for the image that represents the United States. If somebody hates the United States, but they can't destroy the United States, they want to destroy the image that represents the United States. And the American flag represents that image of the United States. So all over the world, if you hate the United States, you will try to destroy the image of the United States. In Genesis 1:26, God said, let us make man in our image. And God created he then male and female. So God himself said that man and women, all of us, are created in the image of God. That image isn't when we are born. I didn't deliver a baby at two o'clock in the morning this morning and hold the baby up and say, guess what just happened? This baby was created in the image of God. No, it happened way before that. We're created in the image of God at that moment of conception. So abortion is really an attack against that image of God. It's a reflection of the hatred towards God. And it's not that we've called the baby 
the image of God. God himself said, we're going to make man in our image. And that is what abortion truly is. And we are here to defend that image of God. I mean, this is a spiritual battle. There is no doubt about it. It is a spiritual battle attacking that image of God. God has a relationship with all of us while we are still in the womb. Mm. But some people don't look at scripture as an authoritative source. I mean, yes, we can study the scriptures. We can look at Jeremiah 1.5 and we can say, you know, God knew who Jeremiah was while he was still in the womb. He had a job for Jeremiah. He knew he was going to be a prophet unto the nations. And God talked to Jeremiah and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came as forth out, I knew who you were going to be. And I ordained that he be a prophet unto the nations. You look at Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, you know, I don't really understand how this happened. I know there was a night of romance and nine months later, there was an amazing baby. And the psalmist you know, said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Well, what does science have to do with Psalm 139? Because when one cell from the mom and one cell from the dad get together, they're carrying genetic material from both. And at that moment of conception, they come together. And that one cell is genetically unique from mom, dad. It's genetically unique from the other 7 billion people on the planet. And it's not just a random act. I mean, God, I mean, there was one cell from the mom and there were 300 million cells from the dad. God knew exactly which one of those cells from the dad was going to be the fertilization of that one egg. And so it's not a random chance circumstance. We're created in the image of God and who we are and who our children is, is exactly who God wanted. But it's not just spina bifida corrective surgery and blood transfusions. We're doing open heart surgery on babies. Cleveland Clinic recently put a video up of them doing open heart surgery on a baby. And what they did, the baby was about 27 weeks along, just at that point where a baby can survive on the outside. And they knew that there was a tumor, a teratoma in the baby's heart that was interrupting the blood flow to the baby. And the baby was not pumping enough blood and this tumor was getting larger. So what did they do? They actually gave mom anesthesia. They made an incision in the mom's belly, and then they made an incision in the mom's uterus. They made an incision in the mom's uterus, and then they delivered the right arm, and they delivered the left arm. And when they did that, it's like, well, why would they deliver the arms all the way out? They need to operate on the baby's chest, on the baby's heart. They delivered the arms out because they actually started an IV in one of the baby's arms, an IV that can be used for medication and for fluid rehydration is what they had placed. And then they made an incision in the baby's chest. They then opened up the baby's chest. They made an incision in what's called the pericardium, that sac that is around the baby's heart. They removed the baby's tumor from the heart closed the heart back up, closed the pericardium back up, and then they closed the uterus and they put the baby's arms back in the inside and they closed up the uterus and then they closed up the skin. If we are doing open heart surgery on a baby in the womb, then that is a person on the inside. But we're doing uh, 
spina bifida corrective surgery. And one of the keys is we've all seen that picture of Samuel Armas who had his arm out and they took that picture, even though he had a defect in his spine and Vanderbilt University was doing uh, a randomized trial to see do babies do better if we operate on them in the womb or if we should wait until after they're born. Well, not only can we do the surgery, but now in January of 2021, we realized that when we operate on the babies in the womb, and then we compare that to babies who get operated on after they deliver, 10 years later, we can see a few things. One, when we treat them as a surgical patient in the womb, 10 years later, they can go upstairs faster. They can go downstairs faster. They have better control of their bladders, better control of their bowels. We have improved their quality of life for the rest of their lives by treating them as a patient in the womb of their mother. And again, a patient is a person, no matter how small, but we're doing laser vascular surgery on babies as well. I had a patient that had twins and twins are a lot of fun. I've delivered 4,000 babies, lots of twins, triplets, quadruplets. Quads are fun because you feel like a magician. You keep putting your arm and taking the rabbit out of the hat and you're delivering all these babies, four of them at once, but twins. What happens is in a case when twins are sharing a placenta, identical twins, they don't sometimes get their own placenta. They sometimes don't get their own sac. Sometimes they are sharing a placenta, but sometimes they are not sharing nicely. And when they're not sharing well, you'll have one baby that gets real big and the baby might be at the 90 95th percentile. Meanwhile, it's identical twin still in the womb is maybe at the oh first percentile. Well, when you see one big baby and one little baby, if we don't do something and teach them how to share, we could lose the life of the little baby and therefore the life of the big baby. So what do we do? We sent my patients down to Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, in Texas. And what did they do? They taught the babies to share. Well, it's tough to teach siblings how to share. How does a, a medical practice, how does a surgeon teach them how to share? Well, they consult Dr. Luke Skywalker. And what they do is they go inside the womb with a laparoscope and they are now looking with a live camera at the placenta. And they can see where some of the blood vessels are taking too much nutrition over to the big baby and not enough to the little baby. So they actually will then take a laser. They'll take a lightsaber, just like Luke's Dr. Luke Skywalker would do. They take the lightsaber and they start to cauterize and almost dividing the placenta in two. This is your side and this is your side. When they do that, the small baby starts to grow again. The big baby doesn't grow as much. We brought them back to our practice. And when they had been like the 99th and the first percentile, they ended up being about the 70th and the 30th percentile. So we are teaching them how to share on the inside with laser vascular surgery. So again, if you can do laser vascular surgery and teach babies how to share, does that qualify them as a patient? Absolutely. And if they are a patient, they are a person, no matter how small. So when we can not only do the surgery, but we can change and improve the quality of life of a patient on the inside, then they are clearly a patient. And it really comes down to patients' rights. And that's what we need to stand for. There's another condition called a delayed interval delivery. And what's a delayed interval delivery? Of course, this is twins again. 
And a typical example, we had one of these at our hospital. A mom came to Pensacola and she was pregnant with twins, identical twins, one egg, one sperm conceived at the same moment in time. But then before day 13, that one split into two identical copies. You know, well, this was identical twin boy. She came down for a concert and she was at the concert and she's up in the front. She's dancing and having fun. And then she broke her bag of water broke her bag of water, EMS brought her up to our hospital. And when she got to our triage area, before we could even stop her labor, she delivered that first baby. She delivered that first baby and that first baby goes to our NICU, all the doctors, all the nurses, all the technology that is there to save the life of this baby inside of the womb. That baby did great. But then our high-risk doctors talked to the mom. They said, we have two intensive care nurseries here at Sacred Heart. We have the one with all the technology where it is down the hall, doctors and nurses. And then we have the one that's here in your belly, your womb, which was designed by God and actually does a better job. We'd like to keep the second baby, identical twin B, in the womb. We'd like to give you some steroids. The steroids will mature the baby's brain, protect the baby's lungs, and also protect the baby's bowels. And we like to see how many hours or days we can get. We give them steroids and the maximum effect really occurs at 48 hours. But if we can get longer than that, if the mom's baby in the womb is still doing well, we'd like to keep that baby in the womb. There was a case in Tennessee where baby A delivered, went to the nursery, doctors, nurses, technology, baby B didn't deliver for six weeks later. I mean, they are going, you had one identical twin born in June and the other one born in August. They will be in different class years because of how far they were apart. The technology is amazing, but what's really amazing is the fact that the baby that's down in the NICU 200 feet away from the mom has all the rights and protection that I would have in a cardiac care unit. Meanwhile, the second baby who happens to be still in the mother's womb if that mom were to go to Virginia, New York, my home state of New Jersey, she could legally abort that identical twin just because it is in her womb. Meanwhile, baby A that's in the NICU has all sorts of rights and protection. It's called a delayed interval delivery, and it makes no sense. So when we talk about defending God's preborn in the womb, we need to use science. And why do I use the term preborn? You'll hear people say, unborn this, this unborn baby that. The reason I use preborn as opposed to unborn is unborn only talks about that moment in time where for that moment that baby is unborn. Well, why do I use preborn? Before you send your child to school, where do you send them? You send them to preschool. Why? Because the normal expectation is that you go to preschool and then you go to school. But when you watch the Super Bowl, you watch the pre-game show because the normal expectation is what's coming next is the game. You don't send your child to unschool. You send them to preschool. I don't want to, words matter. So I refer to the baby in the womb as pre-born because the normal expectation from pre-born is to be born. Unborn just talks about that one moment in time. This information I, and I know I, I'm seeing in the comments, that's why I was looking at the comments real quick. I'm like, people are going, oh my goodness. And that's the same thing I think. Oh my goodness. Every time I've heard you at a pro-life rally, you go, there is no arguing with the truth that you are giving. There, there's no right. way, there, there's no logical, consistent 
argument, I would I'd say even from a secular perspective, of course, we're coming from a Christian perspective, that undermines the truth that you are presenting. Person is a person, no matter how small. You guys, by the way, if you're listening, if you've been listening to this, you're sitting here going, "This is incredible." You have to check out prolifedoc.org, prolifedoc.org, and you need to get involved with Dr. Lyle. He travels all over. Some of you need to realize, in order for Doc to travel away from his practice here and go to these places. He's got to keep his business running here. Some of you could be on the front lines of ministry with Dr. Lyle just by going to, to uh, ProLifeDoc.org and making a donation that allows him to keep his practice running, keep everybody paid while he's gone testifying to, in court cases and talking to pro-life movements and groups about the, the practical application that they need to do. Tell them some of the things you've been doing recently, Doc. Well, we've testified in... Uh, state legislatures. Uh, we've done work with four different state legislatures in the past two weeks. We were uh, submitting testimony here in the state of Florida to decrease the gestational age cap for an abortion from 24 weeks down to 15 weeks. It went through the House, it went through the Senate, and it will be signed by Governor DeSantis in a public fashion. Uh, wow. Is 15 weeks the be all to end all? No, we're going to go 15 weeks and then we're going to go to heartbeat and then we're going to start working on the abortion pill. But there is good pro-life legislation, but then there is evil legislation trying to promote abortion and increase the availability. Washington state was trying to increase abortion surgical privileges to physician's assistants and to uh, uh, nurse midwives, well, and nurse practitioners. First of all, nurse midwives, nurse practitioners, PAs, they do an amazing job but they are not qualified to perform surgical abortions up to 24 weeks. They're not qualified to you know, deal with the complications such as hemorrhage and uterine perforation. It's just bad law. So we try to get involved, use our medical expertise to guide legislators, to let them know, these are my patients we're talking about here. And you know, just in the past five years, there have been over 500 new laws to defend the pre-born in the womb that have been passed in different states. And so as a physician who's delivered thousands of babies, we need to educate them. We need to educate the pastors. We need to educate the students that are in seminaries. When I give a conference talk, I don't want people to walk in and say, boy, I walked in and I was a level seven pro-life and I walked out and I was a level nine. That doesn't accomplish and defend anybody's life. We need to give them tools, tools that they can put in their toolbox that they can then take out when it's appropriate. And they can talk about how we treat the preborn as patients, how we're doing open heart surgery, how we're doing spina bifida corrective surgery and saving their lives, how we can have one baby in the womb and one baby in the nursery. The baby in the womb might have no rights, but the baby that's in the nursery does have rights. These are identical twins. So we want to give them the medical advice and the the stories, but we also have to give them the scripture. I come from a biblical worldview and everything. I mean, every baby that I deliver, and it's been over 4,000, I take that opportunity to pray over every single baby that I deliver, even when it's two o'clock in the morning. This is a biblical worldview that I have and everything as far as going on in the world and how we use our skills and our training and our experience to really fulfill the gospel. 
the church's primary role has got to be to share the gospel, but I can't think of any other ministry that more needs our attention than defending God's preborn in the womb. But yeah, we can talk about surgery, we can talk about fetal development, but the real key and how we're going to correct this issue in the United States, it's going to be the gospel. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It is the gospel that changes minds. It's the gospel that changes behavior. I mean, when you look at Psalm 51, 5, the psalmist is saying, you know, before you formed me in the womb, and he's talking about how, you know, God, we have a sin nature, not just from the time we are born, but from the time my mother conceived me. We are sinners. So, yeah, we all have a sin nature, and we were born with a sin nature, but that's not when it started. It was at that moment of conception. But then when you look at Romans 5, 8, and you see that God loved us all, that he sent his son. He lived a perfect life. And then he gave his life for us on the cross. And then he was dead, buried for three days. And then he conquered death. He rose again. And if we put our trust in him, then we can spend eternity in the presence of our Lord. So if God loved all sinners that much, that he sent his son to do all of that for us, well, sinners are the pre-born as well. We are sinners from the time our mothers conceived us. And then it's the message of forgiveness. I've had patients, I've had, you know, women who have and men who've been involved in an abortion come up to me after my talks. And they'll say, Boy, I'd love to get involved in this pregnancy center, but I can't. It's like, well, why can't you? It's like, well, back when I was in college, I had an abortion. It's mm -hmm. like Oh my gosh, you are uniquely qualified to understand the stress and the fears of somebody who is in the same situation that you were in. I mean, if you are saved, all of our sins are forgiven. If the blood of Jesus can cover all sins, then it can cover the sin of abortion. Let, look at what Paul said. He's, I'm from New Jersey, so I'm going to paraphrase with a little bit of a Jersey twang. Paul was killing Christians. Paul was persecuting Christians. But then he had amazing experience when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he turned his life around, and he wanted to serve God. Paul knew his past more than anybody did. Mm -hmm. Paul said, forget about, or as Jersey, we'd say, forget about what lays <laughs> behind and press on towards what's ahead. So when our sins are forgiven, forget about them. You had an abortion. It was wrong. It's been forgiven. I mean, the real key is forget about that past and start living for Jesus now. When it comes to forgiveness, that is the key. Everybody wants healing. Healing comes from forgiveness, but true forgiveness only comes through Christ. And forget about your past. When all of a sudden you have that idea that I can't work for a pregnancy center, or I can't defend the preborn because I had an abortion. What that's really saying is it is not God that is reminding you of your past if you are saved. That is Satan. That is Satan who is trying wow. to interrupt and disturb your relationship with God now by reminding you of your past. Forgiveness is a huge issue. I was just reading an article, and in evangelical churches, the survey said that 18% of the men and the women in evangelical churches have been somehow personally been involved in an abortion. In the Catholic churches, this survey said 24%. If you've got 20, 24% of your entire congregation who has been through this, they need to hear the message that number one, it is wrong. The kids need to hear that it is wrong. It is killing God's pre-born in the womb, but they also have to know about forgiveness. I was speaking at a men's conference and a gentleman came up to me afterwards 
he's probably about 65. And he said, Dr. Lau, you know, he says, can I talk to you after the end and everybody goes home? I was like, sure, let's talk. And short story, he said, I saw the picture that you just showed of your office from the old abortion clinic. He says, I've seen that set of stairs. He said, when my daughter was 17, she came up to me. She'd already been accepted to the University of Alabama. He said, she came to me and she goes, daddy, I need your help. She goes, I'm pregnant. He didn't know about pregnancy centers. He'd never heard about a message on abortion from the pulpit. He just wanted to be a supportive dad. He said, well, I'm here for you. He says, how can I help? She goes, well, I, I just don't see how I can have a baby and still go to the University of Alabama, you know, in the fall. He said, I drove my daughter to that practice that you showed. He said, I, I know those stairs. He said, she was underage. I had to sign a consent form, my signature. He said, then we didn't use credit cards much back then. He says, I then wrote a check and signed my name on the bottom. He wow. says, I went with her and we had a quick ultrasound. And he says, I couldn't see all of that was going on. He says, I saw a black circle and I saw, I saw a little flicker on the inside. He goes, that was my first grandchild. He said, I then watched my daughter before you took over that practice, walked up that same set of stairs that you just showed. She was up there for 20, 30 minutes. She walked up with my first grandchild. She walked down without that grandchild. He said, not only was that my first grandchild, he goes, to this day, he says, that's, that was my only grandchild. Oh. He goes, I signed my name twice. He says, I go to church every Sunday morning. I go to church every Sunday night. He goes, I go to church on Wednesday night. He says, I'm a saved guy. He says, this has sat in my heart. Like a, he called it a, like a, a, a burning charcoal briquette, just white hot there in his heart. He said, for all those years of going to church, that was more than 25 years ago. He said, I never heard a message about abortion that was wrong. He says, I never heard a message that abortion is a sin that can be forgiven. He goes, why did I sit in church for decades? And I had to listen to a gynecologist tell me that it was wrong, but it's forgiven. He goes, I don't want to stand up. He says, I didn't stand up and at this men's conference and say, Hey guys, my name is such and such. And you know, I helped my daughter have an abortion. He goes, but for the first time, I actually silently prayed and says, God, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Thank you for forgiving me for these. I'm repenting for what I did that was wrong. That's the message that needs to come from our pulpit. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons that we're now giving talks in seminaries. Give these, if you asked, if I were to ask you, Eric, to give a lecture, give a one hour talk on how to apply makeup on Zoom, you'd be clueless. I, you know, and you'd thankfully, I, I would, yes. You know, and you'd say, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that because I don't know anything about it. I really feel that a lot of pastors, don't bring up the subject of abortion because they have not been taught how to bring up the subject mm -hmm. of abortion. Talk about the science. Talk about how we treat the preborn as patients. Talk about how amazing we are as far as developing in the inside from one egg and one sperm until you, know, you deliver a baby 40 weeks later. If we don't give them this education and we don't talk about forgiveness, a lot of times it just gets skipped. This is not an opportunity for a pastor to stand up hellfire and brimstone and point his finger and said, you sinners. No, this is a time for healing. Healing comes from true forgiveness and true forgiveness only comes through the blood of Christ. Wow. Guys, you can see why, Doc, you truly are the preborn's best friend. And not only that. You're a sinner's best friend. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm, I just I find myself going, thank you for not just having uh, a, a an agenda politically, but for having an agenda for Christ. And guys, I'm just telling you, 
you need to ha- you need to schedule. You need to go to prolifedoc.org. Uh, you need to schedule doc. You need to tell your pastor to schedule him. You need to have him either zoom in or fly in. You guys need to treat him well. And and this is information that everybody needs. Every time every time I hear you, doc, I heard you just uh, a, a couple. Actually, we we put up the last rally that I was at. That was at New Testament Fellowship down here. It's we threw that uh, that uh, session that you did on our website. Anybody can get access to this. It's creationtoday.org slash pro-life. It's just one word, pro-life, because uh, the education is the key. And so I wrote these notes down. I got a bunch of notes, but wrote these down. You said, number one, educate using science and scripture. And uh, that that is, you can see why Dr. Lyon and I are kindred spirits, man. Let's use science and scripture. Let's get involved. You can get involved by donating to, to Dr. Lyle. And this is, um, let me not, I'm not trying to throw organizations under the bus, but there's a lot of organizations that are just focusing on the pro-life and they're leaving out the Christ-centered gospel. Why we even can have a message of pro-life. Do you have any thoughts on that? I can I I don't know if you're comfortable sure. like okay. No, this this is a battle. I mean it is a battle, but we have to remember this is a spiritual battle, but it has a very real life consequence here on this on earth. And if we're going to engage in a spiritual battle and we're not putting on the whole armor of God, we're not using the power of prayer, we're not using scripture, then we're not going to be victorious in this. And again, I really see this is the future of our nation. This is a matter of sharing the gospel. It's an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. It's a message of redemption. The perfect example of redemption is when we talk about abortion pill reversal. And I'll go to churches and we really try to talk about you know, spiritual things. And you have to know your audience and you give a different presentation depending on the who the audience is and their belief system. The abortion pill is not only the fastest growing form of abortion, it is 54% of all of the abortions in the United States. Now, before COVID, it was 39%. And the abortion pill is very different from the morning after pill. Morning after pill is indicated for taking 72 hours after somebody has had sex, and they don't even know if they're pregnant or not, but it forces them to have a cycle. And if if they were pregnant, then they would pass that pregnancy. The abortion pill is very different. The abortion pill isn't 72 hours. It is 70 days. It is 10 weeks from the first day of the last menstrual period. You see the heartbeat. You can hear the heartbeat, fingers, toes, baby moving around on the inside. And it is 98% effective in killing a baby when it is taken during those first 10 weeks. Well, just like people can overdose from a narcotic, they made a bad decision. We can give somebody who overdoses on a narcotic the antidote, which is called Narcan. We save lots of lives. We had over 100,000 people die of drug overdoses just last year, 100,000. Well, do we have an antidote for the abortion pill? Yeah, we sure do. It's called Prometrium. We can go over that later sometime. But if we can start the antidote within 72 hours of them taking the abortion pill, we can be about 70% effective in saving the life of that baby. And it's not just you have a heartbeat, but what's the baby going to be like? No, it's a healthy baby. All the science, the science shows that when we successfully reverse the abortion pill, healthy mom, healthy baby. And that's the real key. And when I do an abortion, I've tried it 15 times here in Pensacola, we've been successful 11 out of 15 times where there was a 98% chance that that baby was going to die. Yet, you know, a lot of people got involved. I'll give you a quick story. I had a patient yes. lived in Destin. 
patient lives in Destin. She was pregnant. She was nine weeks and boyfriend was, you know, pressuring her. And she called up to the abortion clinic up in Tallahassee. And she wanted to get the abortion pill. She knew she had one week left. They said, we can't get you in. We can get you in in two weeks. She goes, two weeks isn't good enough. She goes, I got, I'll be 11 weeks. I can't get it. They said, well, you can maybe call Jacksonville. She calls Jacksonville, which is almost five hours away from where she lived and lives in Destin. And they said, we can get you in. She drove from Destin all the way to Jacksonville, Florida, and she signed the consent. She swiped her credit card and she took the abortion pill. She gets on I-10 and now she's heading west home. Some individual was touched by the Holy Spirit to put up a billboard. And that billboard said, heartbeat at 18 days. She sees that billboard and goes, Oh my goodness, I hadn't thought. And she keeps driving. A different group was touched by the Holy Spirit, and they had another billboard further down a couple exits on the other side. And that said, Your mom chose life, you should too. Those two messages from two different groups was enough for her to pull off to a rest area. She pulls off to the rest area and she looks up abortion pill antidote. It took her to our website, abortionpillreversal.com. She speaks with a nurse. Nurse gets the information. Nurse calls me. I get the information. I talk to the patient. I talk to the pharmacy. Now, I told the patient, I'm going to call in the antidote, and it's going to be waiting for you at the pharmacy. You get that, and I'm going to give you a call later tonight. Here's the key. I spoke with the pharmacist, and I said, I need to call in Prometrium, 200 milligrams, yada, yada, yada. And the pharmacist pauses, and she says, Dr. Lyle, are, are you trying to reverse an abortion? I said, be bold. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. She goes, I've read about this, but I've never been involved with this. I said, well, I want to give you my credit card number because I want to pay for this young lady because she already spent all this money on the abortion bill. She doesn't have insurance. I don't want there to be a delay of all. And the pharmacist says, Dr. Law, I can't take your credit card. I said, it's American Express. It's good. And she goes, no. She goes, I'm going to pay for this out of my own money. So I called the farm, the patient later that night. She had been to the pharmacy. She told me the story about the pharmacist coming around, giving her a hug, tell her that she's going to be praying for her. And she gave her the, the antidote medication. I saw that patient one week later on in my office. 98% chance we're not going to have a heartbeat. We had a heartbeat. Wow. I saw her one week after that. 98% chance we're not going to have a heartbeat. We have a heartbeat. I then delivered that baby about six months later. Goodness. But this is how God's God's kingdom works. I mean, God's kingdom works with a bunch of links in a chain. How do you know that that I don't know who put up that first billboard? The first billboard doesn't know about the second billboard. Somebody spoke to a person. God spoke to somebody and they put up the first billboard, but then the second billboard. Then we had a nurse work in our hotline. A gynecologist wanted to get involved. Then even a pharmacist got involved. None of us have met. If one of those links in that chain had said, you know, what? I'm just not going to do what God wants me to do today. We wouldn't have that baby today. But when it comes to it cost about one hundred nine dollars for every time we use the reversal medication, my wife and I, we pick up that money and we are happy to do it. I mean, one hundred nine dollars and you have a 70 percent chance of saving the life, 80 percent chance of dying. But here's the spiritual lesson that people have to understand. Not just ninety eight percent of us have a chance of dying 100% chance that all of us are sinners and we were destined to death. We were going to spend eternity separated from God, but God had enough love for us that he gave his, his, the life of his son who then conquered death and rose again. And 
the word redeemed. Redeemed means to die, buy back. So when a baby is going to death, we invest $109, we buy back the life of that baby. Were we bought back with $109 as believers? No, we were bought back with something much more precious. We were bought back with the blood of Jesus Christ. So redemption, buy back. So we're redeeming the life of the baby. Our eternal lives can be redeemed through the blood of Christ. And I've had patients come up, to, well, uh, church members come up afterwards and say, you know what? I knew redeemed was a good thing. You know, we sing about it, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. She goes, now I understand what redeemed means. So the spiritual applications, the biblical applications in this spiritual battle of saving the lives of God preborn are vital. That's why we need to be in our churches. It's a spiritual battle. We need to be engaged in prayer. My goodness. I mean, the God who created the, the universe, the 200 billion stars in our galaxy, the 500 billion galaxies, that same God hears our prayers, answers our prayers, and we sit around wondering, can we win? I mean, we're going to get ready to see the fall of Roe versus Wade. This is the God of the universe that we are beholding to, and we wonder if we can win, but we need to be engaged. We need to be faithful where we are. We need to be like Esther, and we need to say, well, this is my duty. This is my job. I don't know why, but I want to be faithful where I am. And as an obstetrician and gynecologist and a, and a lover of Jesus and a kingdom servant, that's my goal, to share the gospel because that's the real answer. And that's what produces real change. And I'm fighting for the preborn, but I'm also fighting for this nation. And I just appreciate opportunities like this, Eric, to just get out, give this information, not just to say people saying, yay, we can win this, but to really say, this is the knowledge that I need that I can share with my friends, my family, my coworkers, and we're going to get engaged in this battle. So, so powerful. I think of the scripture <clears throat> in uh, Matthew, just before the Great Commission, when he says, go into all the world, go therefore. What did he say right before he said that? He said, all power is given to me, go therefore. And Doc, to see you not only going in the power of the Holy Spirit and having conversations with people and changing, use, letting God use you to change people's mind, but also saying, hey, everybody else, everyone, everybody, listen, you've got that same power. You've got that same power to have conversations, that same power to deliver the gospel and let God use that in a person's heart. So let me ask you, friend, that's watching this on YouTube or on Facebook or one of our partners here, what's stopping you from having these kind of incredibly important conversations with someone else? I mean, I don't mind talking about sports every once in a while. I don't mind talking about different things going on in the weather, but let's talk about things that really, truly matter. Everyone has the power to go out and share this truth. Doc, God has gifted you in being able to present this. Did you did you tell him the name of the drug? Uh, is is it the um, the bill that passed it that allowed the um, the is it the abortion pill right that that yeah that, the 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 abortion pill, which is called, uh, you know, RU486 or uh, Mifepristone, it blocks a very important hormone called progesterone. And you break that big word down, progesterone, progesterone. It's a progestational steroid hormone. This is the hormone that the body releases that tells the woman, hey, congratulations, we are pregnant. So we're not going to have a menstrual cycle. We're going to divert nutrition and resources and blood flow to the uterus. We're going to relax the uterus so it can get bigger. We're going to close the cervix. Everything that's good about an early pregnancy is because of the hormone progesterone. 
Well, we reverse the abortion pill by giving the exact same medication, progesterone. It's identical. It's called Prometrium. It's made from yams and soybeans, and the structure is the exact same. But it's not that dusty pill that's in the corner of the pharmacy that that's all we use it for. We use this same medication, Prometrium, in normal obstetrics all the time. We use it to prevent preterm labor. We use it on our patients who have twins, triplets, quadruplets. We use, if somebody has had a miscarriage and then they get pregnant and they have a miscarriage, we check for progesterone levels. We can save those babies' lives by giving them Prometrium. Everybody who has in vitro fertilization, the body wasn't expecting a pregnancy and all of a sudden there's a baby or two inside. We maintain that pregnancy with Prometrium. So we're just using a medication that we use all the time in normal, healthy obstetrics, but we're using it to save the lives of these babies. Just like we use Narcan, when somebody makes a bad decision and takes a narcotic and they are clinically, they're not breathing, we can give them Narcan and save their lives. Same way when somebody makes a bad decision and they take the abortion pill, we have the antidote to correct the effect of that abortion pill. Have a healthy mom, healthy baby. I mean, delivered 4,000 babies. There is nothing that I have done more special than delivering a baby that you knew had a 98% chance of dying. And then you deliver that baby, you're holding that baby and just can't help but think about where you were seven, eight months prior to that when the life of that baby was really threatened. And we wouldn't have that baby 98% of the time, but that baby has been redeemed. The name RU486, does that really have the connotations that come to my mind when I think of RU486? Yeah. I mean, if you worked in a restaurant, anybody worked in the service industry, I mean, when the chef in the back says, hey, today's special is uh, meatloaf, yeah, push the meatloaf. And so you're talking about the meatloaf. And then, you know, he says 86, the meatloaf. Well, what does 86 mean in restaurant lingo? It means kill it, cut it. It's gone. You know, I look at it. That's not why it gets that name. But I remember it by it's a question. We have a baby there on the inside, something special. And it's a question, are you for 86 this baby in the womb? But uh, that's the abortion pill. That's the one that withdraws all the support going to the baby. But the baby is still there. It doesn't just dissolve and absorb. 24 hours later, you need to take a medication called Cytotec. It's a prostaglandin that causes contractions. When I'm inducing a patient at term who weighs, baby weighs eight pounds, I give her 25 micrograms of Cytotec to help put her into labor. When somebody takes the abortion pill and then 24 hours later takes the Cytotec, do they take 25 micrograms of Cytotec? Nah, 800 micrograms of Cytotec. So when these patients describe the incredible pain and cramping that goes along with this, this is what it's going to be. But the abortion pill is now available by telemedicine because of Biden's new FDA rules. It's available by mail order after a telemedicine visit. It's not only bad because you are killing the baby, it's bad medicine. The number one killer of women in the first trimester of pregnancy is still a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, a pregnancy in the tube. When we don't know where the pregnancy is, and then we give them the abortion pill. There've already been cases where girls knew they were pregnant. They had a positive pregnancy test, but they never saw a clinician. They never had an ultrasound. They were just mailed the abortion pill. And they're told you're gonna have bleeding, cramping, and pain. Well, what are the symptoms of an ectopic pregnancy? Bleeding, cramping, and pain. How is a young lady supposed to know if this is the normal effect of the abortion pill or if she has really has her life being threatened from an ectopic pregnancy? Wow. We always, 
first visit, somebody who comes in with a positive pregnancy test, our first goal is where is the pregnancy? We immediately do an ultrasound to see where the pregnancy is. So it's bad medicine. I've already read of two cases where young girls thought they were just taking the abortion pill because they were scared and they made a bad decision. They were then found dead because they had a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. It's just bad medicine. So moms are being hurt, babies are dying, but again, 98% chance that this is gonna kill the baby and 54% of all the abortions in the United States are down done with the abortion pill. So it is vital that the church know that, yes, what is the abortion pill? Yes, there's an antidote. I mean, getting back to the restaurant mentality, if the chef makes veal piccata and nobody puts it up, it's a special, but nobody puts it up on the board, who's gonna order veal piccata? Nobody, they don't know it's an option. Same with somebody who takes the abortion pill. They don't know that there's an option to reverse the effect of the abortion pill because they have not been told. So the church needs to be aware, youth groups need to be aware, parents need to be aware, and it is vital that we you know, have this opportunity to save the life of that baby and give an opportunity for forgiveness and redemption to the moms. Thank you for loving mm-hmm. People, guys, you have heard some amazing information. Many of you, I'm sure, have never heard some of this before. Uh, you've given us some practical steps. Number one, pray. Number two, educate us ourselves with science and with scripture. Uh, make sure that we, as the church, as the body of Christ, are being educated. Then open your mouth. Speak up and speak out, not just about the, the, the political worldview, but about the gospel that is the foundation of this. Dr. Lyle, thank you for standing on this. You're truth. welcome. What, what, guys, you've got to go visit... Uh, ProLifeDoc.org, ProLifeDoc.org. Can I just tell you, please become a monthly contributor to what he does. His job doesn't end right now. Yes, he's going to deliver more babies, but he is literally on the front lines 24-7. He's got more speaking engagements coming up next week, the week after that, the week after that. He's not stopping. I've met his family, and I've thanked his family. The best way you can thank his family is get involved with him on a monthly basis and, and, and allow him to continue reaching the world with this truth. It's powerful. ProLifeDoc.org and be a monthly contributor to this frontline work that's not just about the unborn. It's not just about saving lives there. It's also about the gospel. And that's, Dr. Lyle, why I, why I absolutely love you and what you do. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, sir. God bless y'all. And thank you for your ministry and for the opportunity to share. Man, I thank you. And and I got to tell you guys, I've heard Doc talk about creation. He nails it on creation. He nails it on the truth. He is standing on the authority of Scripture. I just love it. Ah, YouTube and Facebook and social media, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, the whole program today. Uh, look forward to next week. I'm going to ask a difficult question to a pastor next week. What about the whole once saved, always saved? There's a passage in Hebrews that honestly, it's one that's used to to justify three different views. I think there's an alternative that helps us bring incredible clarity to this concept. Once you're saved, are you always saved? I'm having that conversation next week with Pastor Chad. I'd love to have you guys join me for that. Thank you guys so much for joining me here. Members, thank you guys for the questions and the comments. Uh, really appreciate that. Gary is going to connect with uh, going to connect this with his governor this afternoon. Man, Gary, thank you very much. Brian, this is life-changing, isn't it? When you talk about the patient's rights and the, the truth there, it's it's completely changes the way you can present this argument uh, to a secular world and to their view. Wow. Hey, let's keep being disciples 
of Christ. The more we learn this information, the easier it is for us to share this information with a lost and dying world. And that's what we need to do. God has called you and God has called me to do just that. If you're watching and you're not a believer, you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I encourage you to go to creationtoday.org and under the about, there's a learn more uh, on, on our website and there's a link called how to be saved. And it, it, would you just read through that article? I would love nothing more for you to know the truth that your creator became your redeemer and that you too can have a relationship with Christ and be saved. We sure love you guys. Thanks for joining us week after week as we have these conversations and disciple ourselves to know more about God and about his word. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Once saved, always saved. That's what we're talking about. See you next week. Mm -hmm.